And I invite you to open your Bible or the Bible in the pew in front of you to 1 Peter chapter 1. And our text comes from two sections of that chapter, each of which deal with the new birth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and then verses 22 through 25. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another earnestly from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. That word is the good news which was preached to you. I'd like to begin by summing up the three messages on hope that we've had so far in this series, so that you can see how the focus on the new birth this morning fits into the flow of of things. The first question we posed, you may remember, was what is hope? And the answer from Hebrews 6 verse 11 was that hope is a full assurance, not an uncertain expectation. Hope is not what my boys mean when they say, I hope daddy gets home on time for supper, because he might not, and that's what they mean, and that's not what the Bible means. When the Bible says, hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers, he might win. It means preach yourself a sermon that he's going to win. Do what I did on Monday morning. You get up like I do on Monday morning, have to become a Christian all over again. You go to the Bible, and you search for a word, and you find one like this, Psalm 35, verse 27, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. And you stand back, you say to your soul, soul, you hear that? That's D-E-L-I-G-H-T-S, God Almighty, delights in your welfare, servant of God. You believe that? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Omnipotence delights in your happiness. And then you get up and go to work. So sermon number one was, hope in God is not a trembling, finger-crossing, uncertain, maybe God will work for me today, but an absolute confidence that the Almighty delights in the welfare of His people. Sermon number two raised this question. Me, a sinner, hope in God? 
I'm a sinner. God is holy. There's no hope for me. Why should I hope? And we gave two answers in two sermons. The first was from 2 Thessalonians 2. He loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through what? Tell me. Good hope through grace. I'm going to have to preach that one again. Grace is the fountain and the spring from which all hope comes. And then we just took a a panorama of salvation and noticed that we were chosen by grace. And we were called by grace and brought to faith by grace and sanctified by grace and we're going to be glorified by grace. We owe everything to grace. That was sermon number two. When somebody asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, you can answer with three words. Grace of God. And then sermon number three said, well, wait a minute. Grace doesn't just give hope willy-nilly. It doesn't sweep sin under the rug. It doesn't act as though sin's not viciously opposing God. Grace gives hope by creating gospel. Grace went to work on Good Friday and Easter Sunday and created gospel so that sin isn't swept under the rug Sin is is executed. It's punished in Jesus Christ. So sinners can hope in God with confidence for grace and for gospel. So you can picture grace as a a fountain in the mountain and the hope is the river flowing down and the gospel is the channel through which it comes to the needy. Now that brings us to today, and I want to change that metaphor, change that image of a fountain and a a channel and a river, and introduce another one to bring us to today's uh, text and today's concern. Let's say that grace is the willingness of a world-class heart surgeon to save as many terminally ill heart patients as he can. And let's say that the gospel is the instrument that he created or developed on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That's the gospel. So you've got a doctor whose heart is eager and willing, and you've got an instrument that he can use to do his work of healing. Now, if you're in the hospital with that heart condition, that's not enough. You're going to die if that's all there is. You might know in your head, there's a surgeon and he can do it. And there's an instrument, there's this new device he created and it works. And you die in your hospital bed. If what doesn't happen? Surgery. You got to get on the table. Your chest has got to be opened. He's got to get his hands in there and get some disease out. Get some blockages cleared away. He's got to operate on you. 
or you'll die. Doesn't matter whether he's there with his heart pumping or whether his gospel is there. If you don't get on that operating table and experience a work from the Almighty called new birth, you're going to die. And so I want to talk today about step three in the hope-giving process. We have to be born again. And it's all right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Four magnificent things in this analogy of the doctor. Let's read this verse and you, you see if you can see them as we read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His mercy, His great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, do you see the four things? The doctor's eagerness by His great mercy. The surgical instrument through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The surgery itself, begotten again or born anew. And the resulting healed condition of living hope. Let's take those one at a time and look at them. The doctor has a heart with a disposition to make people well. And it's called great mercy. This is grace. I don't think there's any difference in this text between grace and mercy. You could find texts that speak the same way and they use grace. The mercy of God, the, the overflowing fountain of beneficence coming to unworthy people like us. And then you see the surgical instrument. We have been born anew to a living hope through or by means of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the instrument of, of new birth is resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. But let's zero in on this and get it really precise and clear. What is the instrument that begets us anew? Look at verse 23 to refine our sight of this instrument. It says, You have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Well, now, this is the surgical instrument, the Word of God. What Word? Well, look at verse 25, and it defines the Word for you. That Word is the good news which was preached to you, the gospel. So which is it? Is the instrument by which we are born again the resurrection of Jesus, or is the instrument by which we are born again the preaching of the gospel? Are there two or are there one? I think there are one. No resurrection gives hope unless you hear about it. It's got to be preached. A resurrection you've never heard of will do you no good. Or look at it the other way. A preaching that has no resurrection to offer won't do you any good. A news about a Savior who's in the tomb is no good news. So you've got to have the two to have the, the saving life-begetting instruments of surgery. You could say it's the resurrection preached. 
as good news to sinners. Or you could say it's the preaching of good news to sinners, namely the resurrection of Jesus. It's one, the resurrection preached or the preaching of the resurrection. So what is it, this instrument by which we are going to be saved from our heart disease? It's the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the resurrection proclaimed in the gospel. What's the third thing here? We've seen the doctor with his eager mercy towards the patient and we've seen the surgical instrument of the resurrection preached in the gospel. And the third thing we see here is the surgery itself. The chest must be opened, the disease must be removed, the heart must be made new so that it can be hopeful with life. Let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, we have been operated on. Or what Peter says, we have been born anew. That's the surgery. God caused it. Let's ponder it. Let's meditate on it for a while. And while we meditate on it, I want to use a word that may not be in your everyday vocabulary, and I want to put it there. In your worship vocabulary, your prayer vocabulary, your conversation vocabulary, it's the word regeneration. Most of you know it probably. It's a biblical word. It's a good word. It occurs in Matthew 19, 28, and in Titus 3, 5. It's a good King James word. It ought to be known and used. I want this congregation to know that kind of theological, biblical language so that when you hear the staff pray on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, oh, God grant that the preaching of the word would be an occasion for your regenerating power. You know what we mean. You say, what was that? What was that sentence? Make your word an occasion for your regenerating power. So I want you to know what that means and pray it with us. Regeneration. Generate, bring forth, give life to, sprout up like a seed. Regenerate, do it again. Born again, generate it again. It's not a complicated word. Let's use it. Three points on regeneration. Regeneration is necessary, not optional. Second, regeneration is a work of God, not a word of man, work of man. And third, when God regenerates, he does so through the gospel and no other way. Okay, let's take those one at a time. Regeneration is a necessary work, not an optional one. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. That's all I mean by necessary. It's necessary to be born again if you want to go to heaven and not hell. That's necessary. Why is it necessary to be born again? It's necessary because Jesus went on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do you marvel that I say to you, you must be born again? The reason you must be born again is because that which is of the flesh is flesh, and flesh doesn't inherit the kingdom of heaven, and that's all we are before we're born again. Do you believe that about yourself? That before you were or will be born again, you are nothing but flesh? 
no spiritual life at all, just flesh, and flesh will not inherit the kingdom, and therefore, except a man be born again, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. It is a necessary work. Paul puts it like this. The natural man does not welcome the things of the Spirit because they are folly to him and he's not able to know them because they are spiritually appraised. Natural man and man of the flesh, same thing. When you were born by your mother, you came into the world as a dead man spiritually. That which is born of the flesh is just flesh. Only when you are born of the Spirit do you have spiritual life. Or as Paul says, the natural man hasn't a clue about the things of the Spirit. His heart is resistant. His sensibilities are dull. His desires are in the other direction. He cannot appraise them because they are spiritually discerned. Or, as Paul said in another place, the mind of the flesh is at enmity towards God. It does not submit to the law of God, neither can it, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They are dead. They have no life. They are flesh. They are natural. They are without any spiritual flicker until God begets them anew. And so it's a necessary work, not an optional work. You must be born again on the operating table with God working on you and changing your heart. And regeneration, secondly, is a work of God, not a work of man. The text says it so plainly. Verse 3, do you see it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by His great mercy has begotten us. He did it. Not we. Now here, the surgeon imagery has got to go. And you might say, why has it got to go? I'm unconscious. The surgeon goes to work on me. It's got to go. It's not good enough. It's not radical enough. Doesn't fit the text anymore. Because God is not a surgeon like an obstetrician who delivers a well formed embryo. God brings forth life like a father. Look at verse 23. He's not a doctor. He's a father with regard to your spiritual life. Verse 23 says, You have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. The doctor does not plant the seed. The father does. God does not come on the scene when the embryo is well formed with all of its chromosomes in place. The doctor comes on the scene when there is not a person there. And he begets an embryo. He creates a new person. 
a spiritual person. That's what it means to be born of God. Therefore, John says in his epistle that we who are born again have God's seed abiding within us. And Peter says in his second letter that we have become partakers of the divine nature, just like my sons have some of my traits. Those who are born of God share in his character, his nature. Regeneration is a work of God, not man. And Jesus makes this so clear in his word to Nicodemus. He chooses a word to radicalize the work of God. He says, the wind, wind and spirit are the same word in Greek. The wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's blowing to. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, what does that saying mean? It means... The Spirit blows where it will, not where you will. Jesus said, or John said earlier in the gospel, we were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Do you know what it means to be a Christian? I fear that so many churchgoers and professing Christians don't know what it means to be born again, to be a Christian. Test yourself. Do you stand in awe? Are you speechless before the fact that you are a believer? Are you dumbstruck that you trust Christ? You who were a son of hell, a child of wrath, deserving only of condemnation, stand in front of the mirror and miracle of miracles. There is a believer. Or do you say, I wrapped that up. I took care of that. That's no problem. I believed. Is there any worship in your life for the fact that Almighty God begot you like that little Scott was begotten about nine months ago? Did you decide to be born? Who gets the glory that you're a Christian? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? I think one of the barometers of whether you know what it means to be a Christian is whether you worship God for your regeneration or whether you worship yourself. Third, regeneration is effected by the gospel and not without it. God regenerates by the gospel, not without it. 
Look at verse 23 again. You have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Consider, the spirit blows where it wills, but it never blows without the gospel. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. I love this this phrase because it is so relevant to me as a preacher of the gospel. And I hope it's very relevant for you as those who pray for the preachers and who endeavor to witness to the gospel. It's referring to Old Testament prophets and then those who preach in the New Testament. It says, It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things which have now been announced to you by those who preached the good news to you. How? Through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The gospel is blown, driven, given an edge by the Spirit of God. They are not two means of effecting new birth as though one could happen one time and one could happen another time. The Spirit by the Word goes to the heart and begets life. And that's called the new birth. So what have we seen? Regeneration is a necessary work. You must be born again or you won't go to heaven. Regeneration is a work of God, not man. And God regenerates by means of the gospel and not without it. And that leads us to one final brief consideration. Why does God only regenerate people in the presence of the gospel? Why does he ordain that regeneration always be wedded, bound to the gospel? Answer, because the goal of regeneration is hope, living hope. We have been born anew unto a living hope. But would he beget a child and bring it into being if there were no message to believe and hope in? God is not foolish. He is wise. He ordains that the means of regeneration be according to wisdom. And therefore, he doesn't bring into being a new creature. And the creature looks around and says, I'm supposed to hope. What am I supposed to hope in? What am I supposed to believe? Where's a message? Where's a promise? Nothing. Void. God doesn't do it that way. God only brings into being new creatures in conjunction with the preaching of the gospel so that the very first quiver of life in that little child will be hope in the gospel to the glory of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. How could Christ get glory if there were no gospel to be believed or hoped in? 
So they always go hand in hand, and God begets anew children for himself by the gospel, because when they come into being, they must have something to believe. There it is on the lips of the preacher in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are born again. Let me point to one last feature of the gospel in this book. It's chapter 4, verse 17. It's a solemn and ominous word, but a necessary word to complete my summons to you this morning. It says in chapter 4, verse 17, the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Would you agree that when Peter teaches that the gospel can be disobeyed, it implies that the gospel contains a command. Can you disobey a promise? I don't think you can. You can only disobey a command, an instruction, an admonition. The gospel is not only promise, the gospel is demand. And what is it? You all know what it is, don't you? The word of the gospel to every single person in this room this morning is repent, turn from all known sin, and pin your hopes fully on the grace of God in Christ, crucified and raised from the dead. That's God's command to every person in this room. It is His instruction, His admonition, His command. Repent and believe the gospel. You asked me this morning, John, how do you know you were born? I wouldn't, I wouldn't reach for a, a, a birth certificate. Say, look, right here, proof. There's a doctor's signature and uh, date, January 11, 1946, and uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Proof positive that I was born. I wouldn't do that. As stupid. I would say, I can see you. I hear, I hear you. I feel hunger. I get hungry. I have feelings. I, I can, I can taste. I can smell. I can breathe. I'm alive. That's how I know I was born. I don't need any documents. And so, this morning, when you ask, how do I know I was born again? Don't reach for your decision card. Don't turn to that page in your journal where you wrote it down. Say, I can see Christ in His beauty and His worth. I see Him. I can hear the voice of God in the gospel. I 
feel the need to repent and be forgiven of my sins, I get hungry for the Word of God. I breathe the air of grace. I'm alive in hope. That's how I know I've been born again. Stand for prayer. Creator Spirit, come. And in this awesome moment where a decisive message of the gospel has rung out in the power of the Holy Spirit, no one might depart resisting. Open the eyes of the blind. Open the ears of the deaf. Cause the satisfied to get hungry. Grant that those who are drowned at the bottom of the sea of sin and lust would come up into the air of grace and begin to breathe. O Lord God, almighty maker of heaven and earth, raise the dead. For the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of this people, And all the children of God said, Amen.